Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about the 1990-something uh, Corona... 99. What, what, 99 was it? We're going to party like it's 1999. Yes, 1999. That's what we're going to do just like it's 1999. Uh, Cronenberg's movie Existence. There's an intimacy involved in playing Existence that is beyond description. They just pop your spine with a little hydro gun. Break out of your cage, Paco. I haven't crippled anyone yet. Step into my office. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. The new millennium. This is amazing. Will bring a new experience. You're the power source. You'll see how natural it feels. Where the playing field is a parallel universe. The game's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. Are you fighting it? I don't like it here. You think it's infected? It's not infected. It's just excited. I think we're still inside the game. We have enemies in our own house. I do feel the urge to kill someone here. Do it. It's just a game. Something's wrong. Oh, God. What happened? Let's come back here with us. have a synopsis for us monsieur i do so as you said it is a 1999 film directed by david cronenberg and it stars jude law jennifer jason lee ian holm willem dafoe among others and the synopsis from imdb is a game designer on the run from assassins must play her latest virtual reality creation with a marketing trainee to determine if the game has been damaged that's like a very boring <laughs> synopsis, I think. But That's so right. you had, I had seen this previously, you had not. And I'm, we haven't discussed previously what our thoughts were. And I'm curious because we did Videodrome, which you didn't really like very much. And this has some similar themes to Videodrome. So take it away. You know, I, I, I think, and I don't want to, I'm not going to say I hated this movie because that's not true. I'm beginning to think I'm just not. You're just not into Cronenberg. Not liking Cronenberg. I mean, I I appreciate it. You know, I mean, I I recognize his place in cinema and certainly respect a lot. Like the concept of this movie, which is sort of a game within a game within a game. It's a little bit like um, Inception in that way. They kind of log into this virtual reality game that is so real that. It's indistinguishable from reality, except weird, crazy stuff happens. But then they come out of the game. But wait a minute, are we out of it? Because weird stuff is still happening. And 
and it kind of iterates itself into weirder and weirder repeats of more or less the same storyline again and again. And I, I think that's really cool. And I think that's a lot of fun to do in a movie. I like the cast in this. I mean, Ian Holm is a favorite of mine. Uh, Jude Law, I think, does a really nice job. Everybody, everybody hands in a good performance. Um, it is confusing. It doesn't tell you the answer. I had a little trouble parsing out by the end of it. So I feel like we ought to, and this is a more than 20 year old movie and, you know, we spoil, I think we need to talk about the ending to, you know, we have to talk. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk all the way through this one. Um, yeah. At the end, I think you're supposed to be left kind of scratching your head as to like, well, so what was the real, when did the game actually start and what do we trust is real and i feel like that was one of the points of the whole film there's just some there are some to use a cooking metaphor there are some flavors in this movie and i think in you know the the flavors that with which cronenberg likes to cook so to speak just to keep with the cooking metaphor that aren't my favorite flavors mm-hmm. you know what i mean Um, Like there's a very, very strong sexual element to this from the game console that the game consoles are organic. So they like breed these weird lizards. This is set in a sort of, it's not set in 1999, right? It's set in some near future time where Mm -hmm. the technology for such a virtual reality game, um, they have like, data ports implanted in their bodies that they can kind of jack in a la, you know, um, neuromancer or, or, mm. or the matrix or something like that, where, where, so, and, and when you're in it, when you're in the virtual reality, it's indistinguishable from real life. So we're, we're talking about a time near now, there aren't flying cars and stuff, but it's this technology obviously doesn't exist yet. But but the consoles themselves are organic and they have these sort of they're they've bred kind of animals that they harvest the organs that they then repurpose to build these consoles. And the consoles jack into you in a port at the base of your spine that looks like a butthole. Mm-hmm. And the cord looks like an intestine. It looks like a small intestine. Or and, uh, an umbilical cord. Exactly. I was thinking yeah, or an umbil- exactly. Exactly. That's a better, that's better. Um, you know, in the game consoles themselves, doesn't it doesn't have a joystick or buttons. It looks sort of like a vagina and sort of like the an inner ear. I mean, it's and the way in which they play the console is very masturbatory. They're like all these little nubs and crevices that they kind of caress and finger and and fiddle with. Fine, but there's a part of me that's just kind of like, ugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I yeah, think yeah. part of it, I think he's intending that. Like he I, wants to gross you out. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I feel like Cronenberg likes to walk the line between the arousing and the disgusting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a, this is the wrong application of this term, but there's a kind of an uncanny valley that he's exploring between the erotic and the nauseating and the, like he likes to, 
it's very visceral, right? It's very of the body and what's a turn on, what's too far and to turn off and how do, how in some ways are things that make us revulsing also a turn on? I don't know. I don't, I haven't studied Cronenberg or read a bunch about him, but I don't particularly like it. I mean, at least <laughs> you feel like kind of, you know, kind of shuddery. And it's not, I mean, it explores some really interesting concepts. I, I think that some of my criticisms of this movie are that, and maybe that it was 1999 and we've seen this done uh, in other, this, this territory explored in other ways since, but some of it feels a little on the nose to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting with the dialogue, how it's sort of, you know, video game dialogue is not always great dialogue. So sometimes when they're in the game, some of the things that people say are definitely stiff and a little wooden. And I love how they play with essentially live action, non-player characters sort of standing around and waiting for you to say, give them a cue. Yeah, exactly. And then they mm-hmm. kind of, that was all fun and really interesting. Um, it, But it wasn't my f- favorite Cronenberg movie that I've seen in so it's, you know, it's E-X-I-S-T-E-N-Z. And it's, they're very, again and again, they're, they're, you're supposed to pronounce it existence. And the mm-hmm. X is capital and the Z is capital. And everything else is lowercase. <laughs> and I hate that. <laughs> that drives me. I don't know if that was some that kind of nuts. thing that was happening at the time that like he was annoyed with the names of, of game companies or something. I don't know. That's what it felt like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and if he did, if he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, twist my thumb in that eye. That's fine. But my experience as a viewer was, I mean, if he did that because that irritates him, it irritated me as a viewer. So, mm-hmm. so that was just another little aspect of the way in which I, as the viewer, felt like the movie and the, the filmmaker were deliberately trying to make me uncomfortable. Fine. So you succeeded. I'm not saying that's invalid. I'm just saying as an, as a viewer, I don't particularly enjoy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's a long monologue. What, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. So Cronenberg for me, um, he's a little bit like David Lynch that both of them are directors that when I was younger, I didn't really like very much. And I've kind of appreciated more over time and probably the only, um, the only Cronenberg that I really saw early on was The Fly, which I really enjoyed in the 80s. But it's one of those really good movies that I haven't really wanted to revisit because it's depressing. Mm. You know, I mean, it's a it has all the gross out things, but it's sad ultimately yeah, in the that, end. That might be my favorite. Yeah. Oh. And I think, you know, that's probably his most mainstream movie, even though it's still a lot of gross out and weird stuff. But I was reading that with this one uh and it's funny because it's almost like he's incapable of doing it and i I, some of his other like the non-sci-fi things like a history of violence and some of those other ones i've not seen because i just wasn't all that interested in them but i was reading that this was cronenberg's kind of attempt to do mainstream again and it's like like you're saying you know these game consoles 
I can't imagine a real person actually using them. You know, I'm going to stick an umbilical cord in my back and I'm going to rub on this, you know, weird. And I, I don't know if we if you said it or not, but these game consoles are organic. They're some kind of creatures that they're using. You know, they have organs inside them and things, but also like so it's just really weird in that in that way. Um and uh, so, but I saw this one, it was probably 2000 when I saw it on HBO or Cinemax or one of those channels. And at the time I did not like it and watching it again, I, I like it a lot more. And again, I don't know if it's just, I, I kind of like this weird stuff a little more now, just because, you know, I've seen so many form formulaic things over the years. And sometimes I want to see formulaic and sometimes I want to see something that is just kind of different. Um, I like you, I like the ca cast in this. I think, <coughs> excuse me, Jude Law's performance is kind of strange in this. His, <clears throat> I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's almost an, an uncanny valley uh, sense to the way just that he delivers his lines at, at times does that make sense yeah well we don't know if it's there's a couple of things he's a british actor of course right and and as we go through sort of different layers of are we in the game or what where where mm -hmm. what layer of the game are we in he does speak in his regular voice but for the majority of the film he's doing a canadian accent i think very exactly popular. yeah the shot yeah. In canada yeah the film is shot. So I, so there's, it's about this and about that, and yeah. But he's doing presumably Cronenberg. Cronenberg is is Canadian, so presumably he wanted to do that. But that just struck me as odd. That it's like, why is he? He just seemed vaguely Canadian to me, and it's, it's like I don't really know why. But I guess that's something Cronenberg wanted him to do. I mean, why um, not? I, you know, yeah. Canada is a place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's have an accent. You know, yeah. So his performance just at times seemed kind of weird to me. And there are, again, I don't know if it's supposed to be, you know, this is a, um, we're deconstructing video games or whatever, but even like, there's a lot of weird line delivery. I thought at times that uh, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, that was the same with her. Now, one thing I definitely agree with you on the, that Cronenberg does this in films, this combination of, you know, it's supposed to be sexy, but it's also gross. Um, I thought Jennifer Jason Leigh was really sexy in this, you know, when it was not rubbing on weird, uh, you know, organic game console things. But, and there is a lot of, I hadn't remembered how much kind of gross stuff there is that's just, um, it's not really sci-fi gross, but there's lots of scenes of animals being these creatures being chopped up and just blood everywhere. And it, you know, it, and it, it just, that, you know, that struck me as, as kind of gross, but this isn't like torture porn gross. You know, there's not a, there's not a ton of violence in this. There's some shooting. But, They've, they, yeah. this sort of gun made out of bones that shoots human teeth. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. very visceral is the only word I keep coming back to. And they're always fixing the consoles is kind of dissecting the consoles and building the consoles is dissecting these animals, you know, and the characters will comment on it. They'll be like, wow, this, you know, there's a factory where they're sort of building 
the consoles are harvesting the organs and it's kind of a, an abattoir and it's filthy and it's a very strong design choice. And, and Jude Law's character comments on it. He's like, this is, this is really interesting, you know, an interesting uh, design choice because this place is so unsanitary. Mm-hmm. And I liked when it got, my favorite part of this movie is when it's meta like that, when it talks about itself in the third person kind of um, yeah, I, you know, I have nothing against Jennifer Jason Lee. She doesn't particularly send me. I've never. <laughs> that was what I was going to say. It surprised me a little bit because I wouldn't, I don't think I would have normally thought that, but just in this movie, she just seemed sexy to me. I mean, I, <laughs> I think that Sorry, I keep calling yeah, her. Yeah. She's the game designer, but she's also the mysterious femme fatale. And she's, you know, um, she's also kind of the white rabbit leading jude laws relatively square alice down the rabbit hole and um i think yeah i think that's all supposed to be there were little funny touches to me so you know he played so in the beginning uh they it's these people in a church why they're in a church i don't know why but this is where they're meeting to um to do their, it's almost kind of like a small scale version of, you know, the Apple Expo or whatever, where, you know, there's this, but it's in a little church with 50 people or whatever, and they're presenting Existence. And when the movie opens, you think this is the real world, but you find out later that, that this is part of the game. But there are little, I assume these were intentional clues, like, uh she so somebody tries to kill her because they're against her being this game developer for whatever reason well they're kind of of against the the concept of virtual reality right they're you know on sort of religious terms like this is you're destroying human life by creating these places that everybody retreats to instead of living in the real world. That's what right. I got from it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. So uh, Jude law is kind of like her protector and they go on the run and they go, he doesn't have a port. It's like, he's resisted that all this time. So they go and they find Willem Dafoe. Who's this guy who on the surface runs a gas station and the gas station it's called like country gas station or something. And it looks so generic. And, you know, you you think this is the real world and you find out that they are within the game when this is going on. And so presumably that was intentional, you know, that this is not a real, you know, this is kind of a representation. But I thought that was funny. Willem Dafoe's character's name is Gas. Gas, yeah. Wearing a, you know, one of those jumpsuits like you gas station attends wear and he has the name tag sewn onto it. (laughs) The name tag just says Gas. Right. And that that makes me think of another thing that struck me as weird with Jude Law. Everyone in the film is it, you know, it's not like he gave them futuristic outfits or futuristic haircuts. And it, you know, it kind of seems like it's the near future from from 1999, maybe like 10 years later or something like that. But everybody is basically just dressing the way people did in 1999, except for Jude Law, who has this big gray thing that he wears like he's in prison or something that that was really weird to me i i don't know if that was meant to mean something there there's little touches like her hairstyle 
she's got kind of crimped waves mm -hmm. in four places on her head like down one side there's just one where somebody took like a a hot crimping iron and did one stripe of her hair on the left one stripe of her hair on the right and one stripe of her hair down the back mm -hmm. that's a like that's a that's how that's a style in the future but otherwise it it looks just like it, things would have looked and you know the car looks like a car would look in 1999 so yeah um i don't know if that's just lazy or if we he needed to make little gestures to show like oh this is capital f future capital t time <laughs> we're in future time when people's hair is different and they wear gray things i don't know but it just it just struck me as weird as it seemed he was the only person who dressed that way and everybody else like you know they wore like big baggy jeans and you know I, it just seemed like right clothing that people wore in 1999 you know i don't know again i that maybe it was kind of laziness in in that regard or maybe um, we're missing the deeper, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was supposed to have some meaning. Now, when they come out of the game, then Jude Law is wearing like, you know, a V-neck sweater or something. You know, he's wearing more, just looked like contemporary clothing from the time. So how many layers did they go through? At least three. Mm -hmm. Or is there a fourth? I don't remember. I don't know. I'd have to really, I think I'd probably have to watch it again and count the different. Because there's a couple of times when they're like, pause the game or wake up, right? And then they sort of sit up in bed, but pretty quickly you start to think, wait a minute, there's another bone gun. Like there's a, you know, there's where they woke up, but all of a sudden we're back into this sort of conspiracy plot through line. That mm -hmm. is an echo and iteration of the of the one we started with. And this whole thing about the game being damaged, you start to say, I mean, it's in the synopsis that you read, but are they trapped in the game because somehow it was the real world, but the game was damaged and now they're sort of stuck in it? Or is that all just, it feels like game plot, right? That feels mm -hmm. like a CGI game plot that you have to, so you know the technology is damaged and the conspiracy goes all the way to the top and you can't trust anybody and everybody's an assassin until by the end they are the assassins right right They're, they wake in, in the next iteration they're in the church but they aren't the leaders they are participants who were in the game and the game designer who is a totally different guy it's basically they're doing like a focus group or something you know to, nobody's played it yet for their performance as these sort of lead characters but then they pull out I don't remember if it's real guns or bone guns. They have real guns. Yeah. And they, they scream death to the creator or whatever and shoot him. And I just wasn't And the movie ends there. And, and I, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to have a sixth sense moment where I was like, Whoa, they were the assassin. Cause I didn't, <laughs> I think you're supposed to. And I had misremembered the way it ended. I, had remembered it as um that jude law kills her in the end i i had completely forgotten that it's the two of them and they killed the game designer so the and then the, so they kill the game designer and a couple of other people and they there's another guy who they point their guns at him and he says something like are we out of the game or are we still in it 
Right. And then it, I don't even know if they fire or not, but it cuts to black then. So it's, it's supposed to be like, right. It, were, were they in the game? Are they not in the game? And that's supposed to be your interpretation. So I don't, what did you right. think was, was it still a game or either way we're to believe that these assassins came to this church, played a whole through game to the acclaim of the other members. And then when it was over and everybody was taking a moment to pat themselves and the designer on the back, that's when they decided to assassinate him with the guns that they had been carrying the entire time. Right. Yeah. People Which who is... it, participated in it for how many hours before executing their plan, which they could have done in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, oh, but were they in the game then or not? Either way, it's stupid. <laughs> like either way, it, why would you? I mean, I guess in a video game, you you justify all these sidebar things to kind of keep the plot from moving forward to milk the game out, but it's still not human behavior, right? Yeah, and you know, I got to thinking watching this. So you know, all throughout it, it's you know, death to the you know, it 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 covers a lot of the themes of a video drone because in that, you know, you have death to video drone or, you know, long live video drone or whatever. And this is the same thing where there are these, you know, this battle between the people who want the virtual reality and the people who hate it. And it's like death to this and death to that. And, you know, I got to thinking, okay, we are on. So on the one hand, you know, watching this on in 1999, I would have thought by now we would have something like this. We're pretty close to it, right? The VR goggles are what are heading that direction. Yeah, um, but still nothing this you know immersive that it's like oh I can't tell if I'm in the real world or you know I'm in a game or not. But you know there are definitely people who um, either really like social media you know, these social media creators or really hate them. But is there anybody out there who's just like, you know, death to Zuckerberg or death to the Twitter guy or whatever? I mean, I suppose somebody does, but it it just doesn't seem like people have that strong of the Twitter guy. (laughs) Yeah. What's the Twitter guy's name? Jack Dorsey or whatever. I think it's Jack Dorsey. I mean, I'm not defending. I'm just like, I love. Yeah. (laughs) Zuckerberg's name, but we don't know the Twitter guy. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, do you? Well, I'm sure that there are people that are revved up about politics or technology or whatever. I mean, you don't sure. need far. I mean, we've seen that. Yeah. It seems yeah. like there's more of that now than there was in 1999. Well, trying to kill each other. I don't know that they stand up and and yell before they pull the trigger that they stand up and yell death to Facebook or death to Republican, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just don't know anybody that that feels like a 1970s trope, death to the infidels, or something to me. Like, yeah, true. I mean, you say, why is it in the church? I think that there are lots of religious themes. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, they're definitely, and I, I get the symbolism, but it is just funny that it's in a little church. Yeah, and I think that death to the whatever is an echo of a religious zealotry, you right? People that are either like zealously in favor of this technology as this is the wave of the future or zealously anti this technology is destroying life as we know it Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of that going around i mean you have oh yeah 
rather than Facebook, I would say someone like Elon Musk or um, somebody who is talking about AI or, you know, there are, there are things that social media certainly has uh, a lot of detractors for measurable reasons, but um, I don't necessarily hear people talking about social media as being the, the, it will be, I hear people talking about AI, that it might be the end of human existence and global mm -hmm. warming and fossil fuels that made the end of human existence. But I don't, for all of the evils I hear people spinning about social media, many of which I agree with, um, I don't hear people talking about it in terms or the, or the metaverse in terms of it being the end of human existence. It's sort of an existential threat to the way in which we envision our society, but there are things now that people are talking about in apocalyptic terms and video games and virtual reality aren't among them. It's funny with, you know, what I know about what's going on with the metaverse is, you know, and, and part of this I'm taking from movies like this and so many movies that we've watched over the years where it's like, oh, once we get to where there's true virtual reality, you know, you can get into a really dystopian thing because it's going to be, uh, you know, the person lets their baby in real life starve to death because they're in the, the you know, they're in the, the virtual world having fun, you know, and they can't, it's like a drug that they can't escape. And the way they're presenting the metaverse is like, you could do work in there. And it's like, you can go to virtual McDonald's and it's like, who wants to do, you know, isn't it like you want to, you know, it's like, it isn't the, how it's always been presented is like, oh, you're going to like have sex with Marilyn Monroe or whatever, you know, it's like all the things that, that Facebook seems to be presenting it as is like, you're just going to do the same stuff you do in real life, except in virtual reality. That sounds terrible. Well, and the only, <laughs> the only benefit of it is, is I, I, the only thing is like, well, maybe you have more in-game currency than you have real money or yeah, maybe you feel like going to McDonald's, but you don't feel like dealing with actual people. So you can virtually <laughs> go to McDonald's and not have to deal with real people. Yeah. And I can buy fake real estate where I can, you know, if I have the money, I can live next to Snoop Dogg in, you in can, VR. You can, buy, you can now oh, I know. use real money. I guess it's crypto, but you, you can now buy real estate in the virtual world. And I don't know much about it, but my, well, Tom was telling me about it the other day is that the prices for real estate are comparable to real world real estate. Like, yeah. I could barely afford this house that I just bought. It's a modest house. I'm not going to buy completely now might be listening to this in 20 years and be like you fools you had opportunity to buy virtual stuff oh yeah i'm sure and i mean i definitely real world prices now it's now there's no way you could afford it definitely you know there some of these things are going to have value you know and and all that and and it's it's it, you know it's going to be one of those things where i'm sure there are people listening to this or watching it and are like, you guys are old fogies, you know, this is the way of the future or whatever. And it's going to be yeah. great. Maybe. Um, I'm not saying it won't become something. I'm just saying, right. Maybe my old fogey brain has trouble envisioning it. I just, so my, my, my wife and I <laughs> built a, my wife. Well, we, we my built wife. a patio last summer and mm -hmm. 
to keep a long story short, I, I like to just hang out on the patio. I have this enormous amount of satisfaction from having to, and it's, we did a, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of it. It's not sure. it's far from perfect, but it's there now. Mm-hmm. And I do think the older I get, the more I, you know, it's like, if it's a nice 70 degree day and the breeze is blowing and I don't have any work or any responsibilities to do, I could take a beer and I can sit on the patio and I can just watch nature while I enjoy a beer. You know, it's, it's simple pleasure. And, right. And I don't remember savoring the, the tiny things in life like that when I was younger, but it's hard for me to imagine now to scrimp and save on a, a virtual world. Like, I, I guess the virtual world would have to, in my mind, get a lot better for me to prefer spending my free time in a virtual place than, than in a real place. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For me with the virtual stuff, it's, you know, again, it's, I don't want to go to a virtual beach that I could go to in real life. I want to fly or something, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> gamified. If it's, I, yeah. I get games, I play games, and that's right. You, know, you play games, you spend time in a virtual. Sure, sure. But then that's got its whole hierarchy of like, you're blowing up aliens or you're solving yeah. trees or you're doing something that triggers the adrenaline response where you're like, yeah, fun. That's awesome. You know? But I think they are, you know, corporations are going to get into it and it's going to be like, oh, you can walk down to Starbucks. I mean, Starbucks is already talking about they're going to be selling NFTs. And it's like, what does that have anything to do with coffee? You know, can you not just make coffee? You know, uh, I don't know. It's just like, I write a letter, write a letter. Dear Starbucks, Starbucks, just make coffee. I I just feel like they're going to screw it up and it's going to be like, hey, we know, you know, you're going to Mars, but this trip to Mars was brought to you by Wendy's. Well, (laughs) yeah. Well, they're going to come. It's like, can I just escape all of that crap? You know, it's the commercialism. Like, I don't see coffee and I don't even hate Wendy, but it's the the advertising, the incessant. I was talking to somebody the other day is like, I think social media has got a lot of great stuff to it. Like it has connected me with people that I would not otherwise be in touch with. But I can't spend more than about 20 minutes on Facebook without starting to sort of feel bad like oh yeah and i can't even put it it's not that i'm necessarily angry at all the political commentary or i just feel kind of like i don't i don't know how to put a finer point on it i just start to feel bad a little bit maybe a little bit bad about myself a little bit bad about the world a little bit hopeless about the few i don't know but collectively bad and Mm -hmm. i i don't want to spend time in a place that that quickly makes me feel bad right yeah you would you had mentioned tiktok no was it you you and i talking about tiktok yeah we were talking about it yeah yeah where it's full of silly baloney like it's just little videos people make and i like to watch the ones that that are funny Mm -hmm. but there's dancing and singing and they're not very long and i don't feel like it has become in other words, I watch it. I can, you go down a rabbit hole with TikTok when you're bored and, and watching all this scrolling through silly stuff. But 
I only have about 15, 20 minute stomach for that too, because I just start to feel kind of glazed over, but I don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. You no, know, because most of it, even if it's stuff you don't like, you just are like, nah, pass, pass, pass. Oh, that was well, cute. Pass, you know, and you, it's not, it's not and for all of Facebook's, um, all of Facebook's targeting and uh, algorithms and all that kind of stuff. I don't feel like they do a great job of presenting what I want to see. Like TikTok does and Instagram does. And, you know, people complain about, oh, they have all the advertising data and everything. Well, I have purchased things that were advertised to me on Instagram. And it was like, oh, I never knew this thing existed, but I really like this. So it's not like, but on one, t- this has been a few years ago, but one time on Facebook, and I, maybe I've said this on the show, I don't know, but they, and not that if there's anything wrong with either of these things, but I was, and I don't know what caused this to happen, but I was getting ads for a while for a gay ski resort and I'm not gay and I don't ski. So it's just like, they, it's just like, I'm not the target audience. You've never thing. tried it. I've never tried it. Yeah. I might want to go to the gay I ski know resort. you better than you think. Exactly. But it's like, uh, you know, I go on Instagram and it's like, oh, here is this, you know, Star Wars uh, glass or whatever that I've never seen. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I really, or this t-shirt or whatever that oh, I never knew that t-shirt existed, but I would like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm dude. perfectly fine with that. If they're going to advertise to me things that I want. Well, that's the sell. That's great. That's their selling. That's the Facebook selling point is like we, yeah. and of course, Facebook owns Instagram, but yeah, but, but that's, it just saying, seems like Instagram wanna, does a much better job for me. I don't know. Say, no, 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 no. We, we collect all of your personal information so that we get to know you better so that we can cater the advertising to you and show you stuff that you want. Yeah. And yet, I mean, that's great that that's your experience with Instagram. That's not my experience with Facebook. Um, yeah. That's what I'm saying with Facebook. They do a poor job for whatever. Yeah. And I find the ads instead of me like, oh, cool, that exists. I'm like, oh, God, get out of my face with the, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I definitely know what you, because Instagram, and maybe it's just the, the people and the, you know, the, the pages I, that I'm following. But for me, it's more or less fun stuff. The same thing with, with TikTok. And uh, nothing against, you know, this, but it's not necessarily like, oh, these are people that I went to high school with and maybe, which that is a lot of Facebook is it's like, you know, real life friends. Whereas I would say the majority of the people on Instagram and TikTok are not people that I actually know. Right. Um, and so I definitely had that with Facebook where um, I left for months, six or eight months. And I've, I've kind of, dip my toe back into it. But there were a couple of groups that I was in that were, so I would, I would every once in a while go on Facebook just to go into those specific groups because they were beneficial to me. It wasn't, you know, anything negative. And I would just, just going in and I would see people on, and it's like, oh, there's that person. I don't want to see what they have to say, you know? And I would just feel kind of queasy every time. And I was like, oh, this is why I don't use Facebook, you know, I don't know what it is about Facebook and, you know, specifically compared to some of the other ones, but um, somehow on Facebook, I see a lot of people saying, maybe it's just the tone that I can't quite 
but there's a there's a, a snark vibe there's a like a like check out this idiot or mm-hmm. you know and it doesn't even need to be the overt like barack hussein obama said you know i'm like mm-hmm. oh my god it's it but there's that sort of you know divided nation thing where it's like mm-hmm. you're either and i know that that drives clicks maybe that's the root of it but it's some comment about masks or you know however you feel about them it's the idiots on one side of the issue are doing something stupid versus the idiots on the other side of this other issue and there's just a lot of big frequently half thought through or not thought through opinions woven in everywhere even when you least expect it it's like somebody's birthday you know and you're reading through the birthday thread and then there's a comment that i go back and i reread and i'm like does that mean to be that bitchy or is that am i just misreading that and it's all over the platform and it makes me say it bums me out and it'll be like you know happy birthday happy birthday happy birthday and then it'll be like well, it's great that you get to celebrate a birthday because my best friend just died and now he doesn't have any more birthdays. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, TikTok, I mean, there's certainly politics on TikTok, you know, as well. But it, again, I don't know if it's just the things that I'm following, but it's like, oh, here's this really creative, funny video, you know, that it's like, wow, these people are really talented, you know? Yeah. And you send me some and I, you know, I, I that's what I kind of, I like the people who are either, they're either trying to build their own brand or they're just being silly or they're bored. But mm-hmm. and my daughter sends me funny things that yeah. follows on TikTok. And, um, you know, it's like any other crowdsourced. Uh, there's a lot of the content in which I'm just not particularly interested or impressed, but there is a lot of and it's There's some really creative people. how short it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Cause I think all of our attention spans are, are pretty yeah. short now, you know? So to take it back to ex- existence, just in your opinion, how far away from something like what we see in the movie without the weird organic <laughs> console things, how far away from that do you think we are? That's really interesting. I don't know that I know enough about technology to forecast that we are definitely working. We mentioned Elon Musk. I mentioned Elon Musk earlier. He's definitely working on a, a direct uh, neural interface. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of his, you know, future vision. I think they've killed a bunch of monkeys with. I don't know if you've seen about that or not, but uh, I got to break a few eggs, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> break a few monkeys. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, it's something, it's, it's something from science fiction that actual science is trying to crack. And of course there could be wonderful applications of it. You know, if you were blind or, uh, disabled in some way, then some sort of a neural interface might give you an entirely new access to life. Um, I think until we have that, um, you're not going to have a truly, I guess the VR things are kind of the next closest thing. And I've never really played around in the VR world, although I've heard that if you actually have the, what is it called? Oculus? What is it? The, the goggles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's different companies, but. That it, it can be pretty cool. Like it could be, mm-hmm. it can be pretty immersive. Like really, you could really get into it. I think um, when you're in there, things are still feel rendered 
Yeah. You know, so, so in this where you're like in it so much that you're like, wait a minute, am I in the game? I can't, the only way I can tell if I'm in the game is it crazy things, bone guns and things are happening. Um, I think that's, that would require us developing a really good uh, interface and that would processing power would have to continue to go nuts. So, right. And then, like I was saying, you know, you have the science fiction thing of, you know, you have to have some kind of safeguard if it's truly so realistic that you can't tell the difference, you know, and do you get in a scenario where people do nothing but spend all of their time in the VR world and maybe, you know, well, other like, than they just work just to earn money to where they can or right. though or maybe they earn the money in the vr world you know you did you read or see ready player one yeah i i, I read the book and saw the movie yeah mm -hmm. living in these kind of garbage trailers in the future where it's just way overpopulated and they escape into this virtual world and spend all their time there living there. yeah i mean i that seems like a you know a, a pretty possible scenario i don't i don't know but yeah so getting old man um what's that <laughs> i said we're getting old yeah yeah so right, it's these days uh so what do you think what do you think did you enjoy this more than video drum video drum i i enjoyed this more than video drum because um it didn't have as much unlikable characters yeah didn't we have somebody post a comment about basically about my comments on there like i didn't understand uh that james woods was supposed to be an unlikable character i don't i haven't gone back and listened to my whatever um i just don't like james woods yeah <laughs> so um and i i can't separate that from his political views now like i don't remember if that was always true if i always found james woods off-putting or if it's just now, but watching an old James Woods movie now, I have trouble separating an unlikable James Woods character on screen with the unlikable off-screen James Woods I don't like. Yeah, sure. So I like this one better because I just, I didn't have that visceral dislike of, of the characters. And I feel like in Videodrome, there was a tone, a very deliberate tone that i saw in some stuff in the 80s that like it's a kind of a tone of the 80s that like thinks it's really badass like you know is this sort mm -hmm. of swagger of the 80s of like you think you're hardcore but you don't you don't know shit you know i'm the real hardcore and that's what that movie felt like to me is like, oh, you want a mind bender? Well, I'm going to bend your mind. <laughs> you know, and I just kind of. Oh. Yeah. So this I, one's kind of more straightforward. The Videodrome may be brilliant and genius. And if you love Cronenberg and I don't get it. OK, you win. I don't, I don't care. Mm -hmm. you know? And we're not. Maybe I'm just, uh, you know, <laughs> just a Philistine. Uh, wait. <laughs> But uh, I like this. I like this one better than that. I I like the fly even better. And you could say, oh, this is most mainstream. Yeah, okay. I thought it told a really clean, really straightforward story. With it stuck to the, 
you know, it was gross and it was body horror mm-hmm. and had great performances and it was weird. I did watch it recently. I watched it uh, probably a year and a half or two years ago. And I thought it really stands up. I was like, yeah, still good. Um, and we could do that one at some point if you want. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's been a long, long time since I've seen it. Uh, it's not like a, uh, did you ever see Requiem for a Dream? Yes. That's, that's a, one of those movies that I watched it once. Yeah. I actually bought the DVD when it came out and I don't think I ever opened it. Cause it was just like, that's one of those movies where like, it'll pop up on a streaming service and I'll think like, eh, maybe I should watch Requiem, Requiem for a Dream. And it was just like, no, I don't that's, think I want to, you know what I mean? Well, do you, you think, do I want to take that ride right now? Yeah. I mean, not that you can't make movies that are something other than happy and feel good and fun. Uh, mm-hmm. They, they, people should. And those movies are, many of them are amazing. And Requiem for a Dream is amazing. Yeah. But it's a tough movie to watch. Yeah. It's, it, I, I mean, I thought it was amazing, but I've just, anytime I've ever thought about watching it, I've just thought, I don't know. It's like, maybe I just have to be in exactly the right, you know, frame of mind to, and maybe I would watch it now and be like, oh, that wasn't as bad as what, you know. Yeah. Um, now that but, you know where it goes, but when yeah. you're first watching it, you just keep hoping for some light at the end of the tunnel and you're just kind of like, nope. <laughs> I watched that with a friend who just the last 20 minutes or so he just paced back and forth and it was just like, Oh my God, I can't, you know, uh, but yeah. So, so would you, um, Oh, one, one last thing that I wanted to say that I don't think I, I brought up is this came out the same year as the matrix. And I was reading that it got kind of lumped in sort of as being similar to the matrix, which a little bit similar themes, but a very different. Yeah. A very different movie. Yeah. And I think that, I think that the matrix we talk about, I mean, whether or not it was lazy or we're missing, you know, the, the, the budgets had to have been different on those movies had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the matrix had so many things that were groundbreaking. Um uh, even just from a technical standpoint, like the camera mm-hmm. take that uh, has was ubiquitous for a while, you know, but, but that was the first appearance of that kind of jump slow-mo and then it rotates on the axis. I mean, I had never seen anything like that. And it was so effective in that movie in terms of creating a reality that was, you know, taking you into a virtual reality that looked weird, looked normal, but felt weird mm-hmm. and acted in weird ways um so i think and on other levels i i think that movie was um and it's more of a straightforward messiah story i mean it's just you know meet this nebish who discovers he's the one struggles to believe and then finally you know does and and i guess yeah. the first movie doesn't save the world but comes to believe that he's the digital messiah of this world and that's just a nice, clean, pat story structure. Yeah, I don't think that's a, a story that Cronenberg is probably going to tell. He doesn't seem to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. and I actually like that. I mean, I, I like both. I like a movie that's kind of easy to fall in line with because I think it's it's entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. but I also like people that say, no, I'm going to I'm going to resist 
we've we've seen that a number of times and i'm i want to i want to leave some questions unanswered mm-hmm. I like, I like that about existence. I like that it doesn't spoon feed you. I don't need to know what it all meant. I, I am fine with having it explore all the different stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like 2001, a space odyssey is one of my all time favorite movies. And I don't know how many times I've seen it a bunch and I'm still not a hundred percent sure what all of it means, you know, I'm not even sure if you're supposed to. I'm not even sure it does. I think it just, yeah, I, I was Googling around. I saw some stuff on Prometheus and like cut scenes and what the, what the architect said and all of this other stuff. But I think it's a better movie for some of that stuff being trimmed out. Mm-hmm. So you go to this really strange alien, literally alien place where there's a bunch of quasi mystical stuff going on that not even the people in the movie understand. And um, that to me, the awe inspiring of the not knowing of the unknown is kind of what the movie's about. So if you answer any of those questions, you defeat the the point of the journey. Sure. In that film. And I think in 2001 too, it's like something that's going to happen. What's going to happen? Something wonderful. Like that's as much as you get in 2001. And then it, it, yeah. it is wonderful. Like you don't know if it's good or bad or whatever, but it is, it inspires all, you know, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. I, go, I can watch that movie again too, though. You oh yeah. Time. <laughs> that was one of those where in college, I don't know how many, cause they, it, it just seemed like it was always on TV, like late night TV. So that's kind of how I really grew to appreciate it. I would catch like, you know, the, last half hour or last hour or something like that. And, you know, so I kind of pieced it together over time and um, it's, it's one of those that just uh, works with multiple viewing and and with a lot of Kubrick, I feel that the same way about the shining, you know, and it's, it's one of those where if it would be on TV, I wouldn't be able to turn it off, you know? Yeah. So, so would you recommend existence? Yeah, I would. And the, the only caveat would be, um, you know, if like me, I wouldn't have watched it if you hadn't suggested we do it for this podcast. But if you like Cronenberg, um, then I think it's one. I didn't I didn't really know of it. Uh, it's one of the sort of lesser known ones. Or to me, it was a lesser known one. Um, and I think that if you're into it, it's it, it does explore some interesting stuff. The fact that it came out the same year as The Matrix and wrestles with some of the similar stuff is of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find it super entertaining, but I did find it interesting. And so mm-hmm. I would recommend it on that basis. I definitely think, you know, Cronenberg is not for everybody. I tried to, to have you ever seen Dead Ringers? No. Um, that one's interesting too, but I, I mean, if, you know, I don't know that like not being a big Cronenberg fan, you would necessarily like it, but I, I tried to watch it with somebody who was pretty open-minded about movies and we got maybe like 30 minutes into it. And she said, why did you think I would like this? <laughs> so, like, okay, this is really gross. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's not, this is not for everybody, but it is a, you know, you like Jude Law, you like 
Jennifer Jason Lee, like, you know, Willem Dafoe has a part in it, not a big part, but, um, but and Ian Holm is good. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, uh, despite kind of criticisms I had of, of Jude Law that maybe were intentional. It's, it's, it's a well-made film. Um, I like so I, he's not my favorite guy on screen in everything he does. Who but, Jude Law? Yeah. He's just not, not one of my favorites, although I respect the work that he does anyway. What were you? But, are you up? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would recommend it with, with caveats. I definitely, you know, I did, did not like this the first time around. And I, it was kind of like the Frighteners that we did before. Um, I appreciated a lot more this time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it's interesting that this came out the same year as The Matrix because. I feel like in some ways this had a big scope. There are scenes in which the sort of powers that be are kind of coming after them and they're kind of, mm -hmm. and they're big wide shots and it's the sort of explosions going off and guns firing and things blasting. And in, in, in the iteration as it is, it feels relatively low budget. Whereas in the Matrix, it would have felt uh, very slick. Um, and, you know, and in some ways, I wonder if this thing, in a world where this thing had gotten that kind of treatment, would the same movie with that, you know, level of, and I assume it's budget, maybe it's not budget. Uh, but I think uh, if the production, the feel of the production values on this had been slicker and 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 kind of more manicured um my experience of this might have it doesn't feel like an independent movie but it feels like it feels like a movie he got the studio to give him some budget for and he just went and took everybody to canada to cut costs or because he didn't want to travel and um you know he made the movie that he wanted to make and and so the budget, just while you were talking, I looked it up. The budget was fifteen million. Okay, it made two point nine million. And what was the so, budget on the Matrix? The budget, well, the 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 Matrix made almost five hundred million dollars. Sure. Um, let's see what they say the budget was. The Matrix. Not sure if you've heard of it. It's a small film. Wow, the budget on the Matrix was sixty three million. Yeah. So, um, you know, so obviously a lot more, but a lot more. yeah, but yeah, <laughs> excuse me. You know, there's a lot in, and not like 15 million is huge, but that was a pretty good budget for the time. You know, you got stars, you got name actors, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it looks cheap. Um, I just think there are elements of the scope that are why it does open up into the wider world and that try mm -hmm. to establish, but most of the film is kind of relatively intimate interiors, whether you're right. in the interior of the car, whether they're driving down the highway or they're in the Chinese restaurant or even the, when they're in the lab, it feels like they just found an old, um, you know, barn or factory of some kind. And then, yeah kind of dressed the set and shot in and that like the gas station thing that seemed like an obvious set to me that didn't seem like that was actually outside somewhere you know uh, again maybe that was 
can, you know, to contribute to the, this is not the real world aspect. I don't know, but. You know, shooting a union, shooting a union movie on $15 million is, that's not a lot. I mean, you got to pay your actors a lot of money and you got to pay mm-hmm. all the crew and keep everybody fed. And it's like, now I guess it was a Canadian production. So I don't know how that works as far as, you know, you save some money. I think you save yeah. some money shooting in Canada. I don't know if it's the case now, but for a long time, Canada gave you a lot of incentives to shoot. Yeah. You wanted the film industry to come again. Well, that's how Cronenberg got really got his start, you know, because he he's Canadian. And yeah, they had this, you know, tax, these tax incentives for um uh making films. And you know, a lot of times when you don't have a lot of budget, people do horror. Now, maybe Cronenberg was just into horror anyway and sci-fi. And so his first, you know, he did a few um, pretty low budget films with Canadian tax money early on. And some of those are interesting. Okay. So, so any thoughts about what you think you'd want to do next time? Man, we, we got to pick what we're going to do for our hundredth episode. Um, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, so next will be 99. Next will be 99. I don't have something burning in the back of my. I mean, we, we mentioned the fly. Um, uh, um, is there anything in your pocket that you wanted to do? Not off the top of my head. You had, you had um, brought up Cabin in the Woods. I don't know. I'm just not feeling it right now. But we, should, fine. we should talk about that at some point. I mean, that's right in our wheelhouse and it's a good movie. Is there a genre that you would want to see that anything that you, you know, like um, more sci-fi or we haven't done a Western in a while. That's true. Um, and I don't, have we ever done a war movie? I don't think so. I don't think we have either. Um, I don't know. I guess if anything, I'm just feeling like I kind of want to shake it up a little bit, do something a little. I, this is newer, but I did not see the uh, it's one that I've always wanted to watch. But the I forget what it's called, the um, the Coen Brothers Western that they did for Netflix, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs or whatever yeah. it is. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it three or four times. I love it. Oh, OK, I have not seen that. We can um, talk about that. I would watch that again. Okay. That maybe be a little, you know, if we're going to do something really stupid for 100, maybe a little, you know, not stupid for 99 would be. You know, what's interesting about the Ballad of Busker Scruggs is, is it's, um, it's a collection of short films. Yeah. Um, and the, the structure of it is though, as though they're stories, uh, you know, it, there's literally a scene where they open the book and there's chapter one and they sort of, yeah. uh, of short stories and so that's kind of fun you know that's kind of like uh stephen king different seasons or you know there's those movies come around but they're not super common um Mm -hmm. uh well typically that you know anthologies for whatever reason are usually horror you know it's stuff like creep show yeah um or tales from the crypt or whatever the coen brothers so Mm -hmm. There's definitely a dark turn to it that I think you're going to like. But yeah. it came out in it came out at the holidays. Like mm-hmm. it came out in I don't know if it was 2018 or 19 or when it came out precisely, but I remember being in Parkersburg 
you know, and the kids were in bed and my parents were in bed and Rachel went to bed and I, I was still <laughs> drinking scotch and I poured myself mm-hmm. like, ooh, Cohen Brothers and watched it at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because it, it works. There's nothing about Christmas to that, you know, but it's somehow yeah. it, it worked as a holiday release. So mm-hmm. I, let's do that because I okay. it, and I think you'll really enjoy it too. And I'd be interested to see what you think. Do you think I could watch it with my dad? Because he loves Westerns. Does he, he like- likes some Coen brothers. Um, what Coen brothers does he not like? He did not like No Country for Old Men. Okay. Um, he loved, and this is probably super mainstream Coen brothers, but he loved uh, True Grit. My parents both love True Grit. Think- you know, but that's just kind of a straight ahead western i think if they loved true grit there's nothing in it that is as raw as no country for old men uh no country for that's a great movie mm-hmm. does, i love no country for old men. viscerally and emotionally it, it i think it cuts to the bone in a way that not all of their work does but that's part of the point of that mm-hmm. movie is is the sort of existential bleakness of existence existential with a capital <laughs> x and a capital z um i i think i think you'd enjoy this there's there's some of them are funnier than others and some of them are bleaker than others but um was it the kind of the quality of the violence in no country and the kind of open-ended like the you, yeah the guy the hero you think you're following you know gets it and you're like wait what in fairness I saw No Country for Old Men in the theater. And that was one of those. I saw it in Parkersburg, West Virginia, very middle America kind of a place. And that was one where on the, you know, I was just like, that was amazing. And people on the way out were saying, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. A lot of grumbling. But I kind of thought my parents would be kind of into it. And at the end, they were just like, well, that was strange. <laughs> you know, that was just kind of the reaction. That's so. an example of a movie you don't get a happy payoff, right? Right. You don't, you don't get a satisfying like ah at the end of it. It's yeah. I was gonna say it's rough. It's actually, I think it's a very smooth movie. Like I think it's a very masterfully made movie. Yeah. But part of it is that you don't get this ribbon tied up in a ribbon. And here's where we end our story on a high note. It's just sort of the movie is over and you're not really left with anything, but the like, you know, it, you know, it follows, uh, it follows a police a sheriff who is quite, is like, what's it all where? Like I've tried to fight the bad guys my whole life and I'd never, they just seem to get better and I don't, you know, and now I'm an old man and I don't can't see how I've made any difference at all. And right. you're left with this kind of like, what's the point? And it's a really bleak. Oh yeah. At the end of a movie, you know, usually I, I, you know, I usually have a pretty good idea what they're, they're going to like and what they're not going to like. Like, for example, if I tried to get them to watch something like Birdman, they would just be like, oh, this is one of the worst things we've ever watched. You know, they would just, they would kind of weird. 
Yeah, they would not. That kind of weird is is not, you know, what. They no, would I think I bet your dad. I bet your dad would like this. And uh, you know, there's lots of opportunities to take a break or stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's all Western, so that's yeah. Cool. And the, some of them are funny. You know, it's the Coen Brothers, so it's a little blend of everything. Like right. some of them are more funny than they are dark, and some of them are more. Dark. Oh, they love uh, along the same lines. They love uh, again. I think this was a movie that very much appealed to you know, wide audiences, but they loved, um, Oh brother, where art thou too, you know? So, um, so I don't know. We'll see. I'll try it on them. And if they don't like it, yeah, know, not out of anything, but I've, I feel pretty confident that you'll like it. Um, Oh yeah, I'm sure there's not, I mean, I don't know that there is a Coen brothers movie that I would say, Oh, I disliked that. You know, I definitely, there are some that are better than others, but pretty much everything they've done. I enjoy. Yeah. Me too. Um, It's like, it's like if you say, um, you know, well, you really generally like Cronenberg's work. And I sort of generally say it's not my cup of tea. I feel that I, the Coen brothers, I'm trying to think of a Coen brothers movie. I, you know, there's some of them I like better than others. Yeah, yeah. There's a new Coen Brothers movie out. I'm generally excited to see it because I like their filmmaking. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I I anticipate enjoying it a lot, you know. So um well I I hope that that proves out. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. Um leave us a comment. Uh we're on YouTube, we're on the podcast apps. I guess we're on TikTok now, although we haven't put anything on there. working on it. Yeah. We're gonna figure out something to put on there. Yeah. Something entertaining, hopefully um leave us a comment like subscribe that's great for us we love that um and we are going to do uh the ballad of buster scruggs by the coen brothers i believe still on netflix i hope still on i think netflix. it was made for netflix so i don't i don't think the made for netflix stuff ever leaves um yeah i hope not um and that's what we're doing for next week and then after that is our 100th episode kind of crazy it is you're gonna pick some some humdinger probably a stinker and i think we're both gonna maybe indulge in alcoholic beverages Mm -hmm. and just let stuff get stupid for sure and we'll see we'll see how that goes um so uh existence i think two thumbs up slightly more tepid thumbs up from me perhaps but yeah i'm I'm more of the cronenberg guy so um Anything else to add? I don't think so. All right, then we will talk to you next week.